bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you again for another day to be alive, courtesy of your grace and mercy. We thank you for this time to gather together as your children in unity of the faith, seeking to know you more, seeking to understand you more. And we ask that you help us look at things from your perspective instead of our sin nature's perspective and the world's perspective that we get sucked into so often. Father, we most of all are grateful and thankful for your Son, whom you sent out of heaven once for all to take away our sins once for all. We are eternally grateful, and we ask that you help us realize more of the eternal blessings that you've already granted us in Christ Jesus. We ask that you bless this message, help us concentrate on your word, and guide us by your Holy Spirit. It's in Christ's precious name we pray, by the power of your Spirit. Amen. The Deceitfulness of Sin, Part 29. So, I don't know about you, but I'm always excited for a pastor's return to the pulpit after his time away because I want to see how the Spirit speaks to him about the substitute teachings. Um, I'm always quite curious, uh, you know, in three days, for example, uh, three lessons that I had the chance to give last week, there's a lot of material in there. And I love to see just what strikes him as, you know, he's the shepherd and has that gift to be... Um, guiding the congregation and to see what main points come out or big picture themes come out in his soul is always fun to watch. So there were a few key points that he took note of on Sunday that are worth reiterating that um, he stated and, and even looked at in a different way, a different perspective, I guess you'd say. And then later in our message, we're going to see some passages that I wasn't able to get to in our mini-series mini That'll be kind of a capstone to what we were talking about. So, first of all, the idea of unfairness arose in Pastor's soul as he was listening to our mini-series on, on sin deceiving us away from gratitude for our healer and deliverer. As we well know, man is always tempted to question God. It's just, it's like how we're built in the sense of after the fall, that ever-present sin nature within us is always tempting us to question God. And Satan is the propagator of an idea like unfairness, as the kingdom of darkness whispers to our sin nature in the process. So pastor's viable question for us all to dwell upon on Sunday was, is there anything that is actually unfair in our lives? Is there anything that is actually truly unfair in our lives? It's a good question to think about. And if we're humble, we're going to draw the right conclusion in our souls. We know that we really don't have the right to say anything's unfair. Um, we talked about how what's fair, if we're totally honest, is that we should be in the lake of fire. That, that's what's fair. And if you want to talk about unfair... It's that we're going to heaven based on faith alone, in Christ alone, we're going to heaven. That is totally unfair. 
So you want to complain? <laughs> it's just silliness when we complain. So we saw Romans 5, 6 on the board. For while we were still helpless, unable to pluck ourselves from certain eternal death, totally helpless, totally without hope, at the right time Christ died for the ungodly. This highlights our total inability to do anything good on our own or to save ourselves from judgment. Therefore, if this verse is true, how can we say we deserve anything? We obviously can't if we look at things from the right perspective. So again, uh, Pastor's viable question on Sunday that he kind of started with is, is there anything that is actually unfair in our lives? And arguably, the most effective, identifiable way of convincing us this lie that life is unfair is to distract us from all the things we should be grateful for. It's a, a tactic, a strategy of the sin nature. Unfortunately, Satan does a masterful job at doing this, both influencing us from without and from within, and therefore our immense need for the Word of God to give us wisdom. So, for example, without learning the Word of God, we don't know this good advice that we see in 1 John 4, verse 1, which can rescue us from deception, if we know it. 1 John 4, 1, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. Now, if you're a Christian that doesn't read their own Bible, if you're a Christian that maybe doesn't even go to a church that teaches the Bible, then you don't know about this very wise advice. You don't even know or think to look for foreign spirits, false spirits that are trying to lie to you. And so you're without this wisdom that can rescue you from the masterful deception of Satan and the world and the sin nature. Not opening up the good book and seeking God's counsel almost means uh, sure destruction in the spiritual realm. Uh, obviously, to us, it's amazingly foolish. We understand the power and the necessity of the Word of God. But it also shows what a good job the kingdom of darkness has done deceiving us in the world system. So John tells us here to test the spirits. And we know that the Spirit of Christ is never going to lie to us. He's always going to tell us good things, true things, and never give us something opposed to trusting in our Heavenly Father. So as we have thoughts creep in our head to doubt God, even in the smallest way, um, to think about unfairness, what's unfair in our lives, for example, as those things creep in, we, of course, conclude that can't be from God if we stop to think about it. If we do what John said in this verse, test the spirits. Because there's a tendency, and our flesh is right along with this, to take the you know, path of least resistance and not examine ourselves. And so when these thoughts pop in our head, what do we do? We give them a pass. Like, I'd really rather not challenge myself right now. right? I'd really not, rather not examine myself right now. 
It's not that big a deal that I just had this thought pop in my head. So I'm going to let it slide. And what happens is that's what leads down the road to deception. You know, for it to grow roots, that doubt or that thought of unfairness, it grows roots because we didn't test the spirits. We didn't see where that thought was coming from. So be on guard for that. Like, we can't be lazy. We got to guard our souls, guard our hearts. So on the board, a pastor gave us this on Sunday. The Spirit of Christ says, be grateful. Pray within the sphere of this gratitude. Love. Rest and take comfort in His promises. In other words, the Spirit of Christ, Christ's Holy Spirit within us, is going to tell us good things, divinely good things, um, things that lead to reliance on the Heavenly Father in purity, like the things on the board. But what would another spirit say? Don't, don't forget the idea of counterfeits. What would another spirit say to you? He wouldn't say hate God, right? We know that by now. He wouldn't tell us to do things that are obviously wrong, especially as believers that have some of the word in their souls. He's not stupid. But he might say something like this, that other spirit, and notice it's a small s for spirit here. Another spirit says, forget about his benefits. In other words, it's not that big a deal. You don't have to remember them all. You know. Psalm 103, 2 says, don't forget his benefits. Another spirit says, forget about his benefits. Another spirit says, there's no need to be grateful. In fact, you deserve more. Another spirit says, love others. Nothing wrong with that. But take care of yourself first. Again, like another spirit is not going to tell you don't love others. Even the world tells us love others. But it is going to tell you put yourself number one. And then, of course, another spirit will say rest, but it has conditions attached, such as if you're getting ahead, if things are going well, if you feel life is fair right now, rest. So be careful where these little, you know, lies are that you, you know how, you know how these thoughts pop in your head and you start to entertain them a little bit? And if you don't catch yourself, they fester. Be on guard for that and call it out in your soul when it happens. Be like, huh, that's my sin nature trying to get the best of me right now. I'm not going to do it. I'm not going to listen to it. The Spirit also gave our dear pastor this emphasis from last week's lessons on the board, should we be on our knees at times, or at least figuratively, all the time? We're not talking about literally being on your knees physically all the time, but should we be, shouldn't we be on our knees all the time in our soul? For example, why do we require a situation of death? We talked about this last week quite a bit, right? God bringing us to our knees. Why do we require a situation of death to be brought to our knees? This is what came up on Sunday. And doesn't that suggest how arrogant we are as human beings? If we, if we need situations of death to be brought to our knees in our soul, how arrogant are we? Because if we're realistic about our condition, 
compared to God and our, our standing before God and our, our sin and his righteousness, if we're realistic about those things, we should always be on our knees in our soul. The only, the only reason we're not is because we're arrogant and we get arrogant, especially when things start going well or we start taking a little credit for something going well in our lives. So shouldn't we, even when we are healthy and strong, be humble before the Lord knowing that we're just dust compared to him? Literally dust on the board, Psalm 103, 14. For he himself knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. Thank God he's mindful that we're just dust. But if this is true about us, how can we possibly get arrogant? How can we ever stop being on our knees? It's like really foolish if you think about it, but we all do it. We should have a constant attitude of being on our knees. So even when we're strong, we're weak compared to him, obviously. And our lives are in his very hands to be taken whenever he sees fit. How do we forget that kind of a thing? How can we not be on our knees all the time, at least in our souls, when our life is in his very hands? No matter how strong or healthy you think you are, in the moment. We saw the angels and the elders in heaven as our example. Uh, turn again in your Bibles to Revelation 4, verse 8. Revelation 4, 8. And we saw like a proper, you know, mindset. A continual attitude of humility before the Lord. So just look at the attitude of their hearts in this passage and their joy because of it. Revelation 4, 8. And the four living creatures, each one of them having six wings, are full of eyes around and within. And day and night they do not cease to say, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God, the Almighty, who was and who is and who is to come. And when the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to him who sits on the throne, to him who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders will fall down before him who sits on the throne and will worship him who lives forever and ever and will cast their crowns before the throne, saying, Worthy are, are you, I want to say out thou, right? Worthy are you, our Lord and our God, to receive glory and honor and power. For you created all things, and because of your will they existed and were created. You just see this attitude of thankfulness and and awe, and praise, and humility, like, you know, bowing at the knee, constantly. And at this point, let's also remember the wisdom James passed on to us, and this passage includes several truths in our studies lately, as you will see. Um, go now to James 4, verse 1. You might end up remembering this passage, because I, I remember we went to this probably over a month ago now, and how it blended so many thoughts together, principles together that we've been seeing. So let this passage speak to you. James 4.1 What is the source of quarrels and conflicts among you? Is not the source your pleasures that wage war in your members? So here we're talking about the sin nature. Isn't the source of our problems our sin nature? 
99 out of 100 times, you lust and do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask with wrong motives, so that you may spend it on your pleasures. You adulteresses, do you not know that friendship with the world is hostility toward God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the, the scripture speaks to no purpose? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. Isn't that interesting? We're just talking about testing the spirits and other spirits that influence us. And what does it say? He jealously desires the spirit which he has made to dwell in us. But he gives a greater grace. Therefore, it says, God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Submit, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. And here's our principle right now. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. In other words, be on your knees at all times, in your soul. Be miserable, and mourn, and weep. Let your laughter be turned into mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and he will exalt you. Does God, does this mean God wants us to be miserable all the time? Is that what he, he wants us to be mourning and weeping all the time, like literally every day? Or does it mean something else? Is it implying something else? As in being on our knees on our soul all the time, as always being humble before him. No matter what we're doing, no matter what good happens in our lives that we're tempted to take, take credit for, always being humble before Him. Like verse 10 says, Humble yourselves in the presence of the Lord and He will exalt you. This is being on our knees all the time. So we might call this on the board, find joy on your knees. And this doesn't make sense to our sin nature and it doesn't make sense to the world. The world says that is a foolish statement. Find joy on your knees. Find joy when I have to humble myself before somebody? Yes, because he's the King of kings and the Lord of lords and he's merciful. But you don't understand that, unbeliever. The only way in this world we can find joy is by being humble before the Lord, like continually. Find joy on your knees. If we do life his way, namely remaining humble and not rejoicing in temporal things, we will truly be happy and even be exalted and promoted by the Lord. As we just saw in James 4, 1 through 10. Our habitual attitude, regardless of our activities within the day, that doesn't even matter. Like We're not talking about, again, being physically on your knees while you're at work, right? Although Jeremy kind of has to in his job. Kind of funny. But... You know, we're not talking about that. We're not talking about doing things that you have to do in the world and physically limiting yourself, physically being in a humble position before him. He's looking for our hearts. He's looking for a humble soul. He wants us to be on our knees habitually, regardless of our activities within the day. And this is what came out on Sunday. Bowing to him, so to speak. Uh, especially in the motivation of our hearts. Especially in the motivation of our hearts. It doesn't matter what the heck you might be doing. 
What's your motivation in the moment? And are you giving praise and thanks to him in the moment or not? Are you grateful for everything? The good things that happen on the job, the promotions, the bad things that happen on the job, the tests. Are you grateful and humble before him? Because you know he can promote you at any second he wants to. There's faith again. This is the only way to have peace and joy. But it takes purposely going against what our sin nature is telling us. So again, on the board, find joy on your knees. If we do life his way, namely remaining humble and not rejoicing in temporal things, we will truly be happy and even be exalted and promoted by the Lord. His ways are not our ways. By grace, he's been showing me some of this in my own life. His ways are not our ways. And he will promote you as you obey him. And you remember we talked about when you obey God, sometimes you suffer first in the world, especially. You lose things in the world. And then he comes around and he can promote you. So when you obey God, you know, when we know we're not going to be accepted by the world and even persecuted. But God is right there waiting to promote us as we humble ourselves before him, as we accept loss in the world for his namesake, for his word. And then what does God do after whatever time is appropriate? He promotes you in a way that you couldn't have been promoted through your own efforts, striving, supernatural life that he calls us to. And it's a supernatural peace that he calls us to. But it takes constant humility. So here's Pastor's one question he believes was for us from our miniseries last week. Do you have reason for gratitude? Obviously, yes. Everything in this life is a privilege. Everything in this life is a privilege. Down to the, you know, first fact that we don't even deserve to be alive. And the second fact that we deserve to be in hell. Everything in this life is a privilege. Even the things God asks us to suffer for Christ's sake. It would do us well to remember that. It will give us peace to remember that. It will give us peace as we saw when we give gratitude for our healer and deliverer. It will give us peace. The repeated message of the Spirit has been, stop looking at the things you don't have or you will be deceived into a life of misery. Can I get an amen from anybody? I mean, talk about a formula that works for the kingdom of darkness. Stop looking at the things you don't have, or you're going to be deceived into a life of misery again. But if you want his joy and peace, look at all the things God has given us. And you personally, by grace, none of it deserved whatsoever. You don't deserve good food to eat. You don't deserve food to eat. We don't deserve all the, um, just think of creation, right? All the variety of foods he gives us to eat. Why didn't God just give us bananas? I don't know about you, but I'd be sick of bananas after two days. You know, I like bananas, but can you imagine only eating one food all the time? And God said, no, I love my children. I'm going to give them things that they can't even keep count of, how many different things they could try. I forget how I got on that, but <laughs> thank God for what we do have, right? None of it's, none of it's deserved was the point. And that's just the simple truth. And if we start there, we're going to be good. 
We're going to be grateful. We're going to have peace. We're going to thank God for the one eye that works. Pastor also shared a subtle critical point in his words that's been bubbling up in our studies on the board regarding deliverance. It is often indescribable at inception as an idea, a living hope. In other words, you know, you can't see your way out of a situation. You can't even picture a way out sometimes. This is totally impossible. I can't picture being delivered from this situation. But once consummated by the Spirit of God, by His power and grace, it becomes plainly obvious. How do we get to that point? Faith. Faith is what gets us from hope to reality. Faith is what gets us from hope to reality. From one place of uncertainty to a place of, you know, concrete, maybe evidence, maybe results. But it takes us, it, it, it delivers us. Without faith, God's like, I'm not going to deliver you. I can't do that thing. You know, how many, did, how many people did he not heal because they expressed no faith in him? So I love that phrase, faith is what gets us from hope to reality. It's like our only role in the whole thing called life, and God even provides that to those who ask him. So again, on the board, regarding deliverance, it's often indescribable at inception as an idea, a living hope. But once consummated by the Spirit of God, by His power and grace, it becomes plainly obvious. Faith is what gets us from hope to reality. All in lockstep submission to God's will, of course, and whatever God's will be. The Spirit also told us, that we believers really should never lack peace or rest in our souls. This was another emphasis from Pastor's summary. And when we allow the storms of life to get to us, it's really our own fault. We're the ones that lose faith and begin to doubt. We're the ones failing to rest in God's power and promises. We're the ones failing to give thanks in everything as part of God's will for us in Christ Jesus. We're the ones. So on the board regarding rest, what is it if it's not being still? What is rest if it's not being still? Up here, not necessarily physically, you might be running a marathon. But if you're not still in your heart, you're not at rest. If we abide in gratitude, we rest in God's promises. We stop joining the fray in the world, which is rightly described as a frantic grab for other things that might deliver us. Or at least, and I really like how this is stated, at least preoccupy our minds away from the visceral pain of lack of faith. I don't know about you, but I totally understand what he's talking about there. You know how sometimes you just try to preoccupy this yourself at, while you're not having faith, while you're clinging to a doubt, and you try to preoccupy yourself. <laughs> Sorry, you know what I'm saying. I'm going so fast, I don't know why. You try to preoccupy yourself with something to get your mind off of the fact that right now you're doubting God. Pretty funny, the things we do and the games we play. But 
Rest is what God calls us to, right? And it doesn't come without faith. It doesn't come to us without faith. We saw 1 Peter 4.19 several times. Therefore, those also who suffer according to the will of God shall entrust their souls to a faithful creator in doing what is right. Period. That right there is our place of solace. That right there is our place of rest. It's simple and it's pure and it's righteous. Trust in the Lord. Be humble before the Lord. Let Him promote you at the proper time. Always be on our knees in our soul. And that's where we find true rest and true peace and true joy. It's really simple, isn't it? It's hard only in the sense that the sin nature kicks hard against God's ways. But it's so simple. It comes back to surrender, right? The same surrender you had at the moment of salvation when you got to your knees and said, Lord, I need you to save me, is the same surrender He wants us to operate in every day on our knees and our soul every day so that we're not boastful in the flesh, so that we're giving Him all the credit, so that we're always praying and thanking Him, even though no matter what's going on, it doesn't matter. And that's where we find rest. So on the board, the truth about rest, there's never a valid reason we should lose sleep. Really, honestly, there's never a valid reason we should lose sleep. Do we all lose sleep? Absolutely, right? Of course. Do we all fail the tests of life at times? Of course. So that's not what we're saying here, but we're saying what's the source of when we do lose sleep? What's the source? If you're not at rest in your soul, it means a lack of faith and gratitude. The sin nature within you has won for a time. Instead, choose to have faith and gratitude for what you do have. And then you know what's funny? You'll fall asleep like a baby. When you finally surrender and you stop thinking about unfairness and all that and you decide to give thanks in all things, all of a sudden you fall asleep. Instead of struggling on your pillow and you know, fighting against what might be God's plan for you. So much of our internal suffering is from ourselves and our own resistance to God's plan for us. Isn't that true? Isn't that what we just read in James 4? So much of our internal suffering is from ourselves and our own resistance to God's plan for us and God's ways. We do it to ourselves. So when we lose rest, it's really our fault. Let's put it where it should be. Because guess what? If you had faith and gratitude in that moment, you would not be losing rest. Is it easy all the time? Nope. Of course not. But what's the truth about rest? The truth is there's never a valid reason we should lose sleep. If you're not at rest in your soul, it means a lack of faith and gratitude. The sin nature within you has won for a time. Join the club. Instead, choose to have faith and gratitude for what you do have. As pastors always said, the great thing about perspective is you can change it in a second right? We can repent in a second. We can choose to have faith and gratitude. Even when we've been in a bad place for a while, we can, with our free will that God gave us by grace, choose to turn back in faith and humility and gratitude. 
So let's revisit a couple principles now from our mini-series and see some scriptures the Spirit gave us to close with. With our eyes on eternal things and spiritual healing. Okay, that's kind of going to be the theme for the rest of the message. Eyes on eternal things and spiritual healing. So on the board, we were given this by the Spirit regarding deliverance and eternal things. How about seeking healing from sin and our affection for it? How about seeking healing from certain lust patterns that we simply cannot defeat on our own? In other words, why are we just seeking, the next question, why are we just seeking relief from the pain? The quick fix, uh, almost like an immature child, right? Daddy, just take the pain away. But son, if you didn't do this thing, you wouldn't have the pain. I know, I know, but just take the pain away. What about asking him to help you fix the source of it? It takes humility, right? How about trusting in and being thankful for the deliverer himself, even if it's not the time for deliverance yet? Therein lies freedom. Again, we most often have ourselves to blame for our misery and our bitter hearts. The Spirit summarized it like this for us. The question was, why do we put so much stock in other things? In worldly comforts, for example, in good health in this temporary body even. Why do we put so much stock in it? Why do we let those things... What? (laughs) Is that funny? Why do we let those things control us and determine our happiness? Why do we do this to ourselves? Why do we put all our eggs in one basket, so to speak? Like this is where happiness lies. Aren't these things on the board, aren't they like, um, I don't know, extra blessings? Aren't they like God, remember when God gave Solomon wisdom and then he, then he added unto him everything else? Things like good health and worldly comforts and all that, aren't those like just kind of add-ons by the grace of God if he so sees fit for us? But what do we do? We say that's everything. And I'm not going to be happy without those things. So why do we put so much stock in them? On the board because we're listening to the sin nature within us. That's it. That's the main reason. We're listening to the sin nature within us, not the spirit of the living God. So be careful who you're listening to when those little thoughts creep in. God so desires that we're healed in our spirits that our souls find rest in Him alone. He's a jealous God. We just read that also in James. He jealously desires the spirit that's within us. But this takes turning away from the things and the ways of the world. To receive this peace of God, it takes turning away from the things and the ways of the world. You can't find one while you're holding on to the other. So on the board, God's will be done. God wants to deliver us especially in our spirit, especially in our spirit. And that might require staying in a certain physical situation so we can finally see the light. For example, see the light that the physical is not going to give us happiness. This spiritual freedom is the ultimate deliverance. 
That's God's ultimate desire for us as our Father. He wants us to be free in our spirit, living in the spirit of Christ, and set free by the word of God. He's like, I have something else for you. He keeps saying over and over to us as he knocks on our thick skulls. I have something better for you. Will you believe me? Will you dive in? Will you be on your knees before me every day? Maybe even every moment, admitting, reaching out for me. Worshiping me, thanking me. I have something else for you that's way better, but it takes faith to receive it. On the board, we also saw in our mini-series, Spiritual Healing is God's top priority and was the primary purpose of our Lord's first coming. Matthew 13, 15, and 13, 23. Let's go there again to see what our Lord says. Matthew 13, 15. Excuse me. Spiritual healing is God's top priority and was the primary purpose of our Lord's first coming. Matthew 13, 15. For the heart of this people has become dull. With their ears they scarcely hear, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise they would see with their eyes, hear with their ears, and understand with their heart, and return, and I would heal them. Obviously he's not talking about physical healing here. He's talking about spiritual healing. Understand with their heart and return, and I would heal them. Look at verse 23. Matthew 13, 23. And the one on whom seed was sown on the good soil, this is the man who hears the word and understands it, who indeed bears fruit and brings forth some a hundredfold, some sixty and some thirty. He hears the word and understands it. That's God's desire for every, every man, every woman, every person that's ever lived, that they get it, that they hear the word and receive it, which means really to take hold of it, that they understand it. And guess what? are set free by it, are delivered by it, spiritual deliverance. He wants that over everything else. That's why he came. You think of all the healings the Lord performed when he was on earth. What were his thousands of physical healings a picture of? They were a picture of the most important healing, which is the eternal, the spiritual, not the physical being healed spiritually from sin and death. And not just positionally, but placing our trust in Him every day, surrendering to Him every day. So we're not slaves to sin. I mean, what more does a, a father want for his child than to see him set free from sin, to not be a slave of sin? Even a human parent, hopes and prays that their child doesn't become a slave of some sort of sin and destroy their lives. And God the Father is saying the same thing. I've, I've, died, I've sent my son, he died for you to set you free. Now will you live in that freedom? Will you stop being a slave to sin when I have something so much better for you? A peace that surpasses all understanding? 
It's up to you. If you have faith, I will give it to you. On the board, God's perspective on healing. Our sick and deceitful hearts go from a raw wound and a sore boil to a healthy skin and a life full of energy. The Lord is our Redeemer. We're talking soulishly here. And the true healing that we are after, that lasts forever, is from sin and death, both positionally and experientially. This is what our good Father wants for us. So whether we are physically healthy or not right now, we must put our very lives in the hands of the Lord, as King Hezekiah did, if you remember, in 2 Kings 20. Remember, God got Hezekiah to his knees, allowing his soul to reach out to God like never before. He had a type of spiritual healing and a new place of intimacy with God because of the mortally ill situation he went through. So sometimes we have to remember it's the toughest situations that end up setting us free. It's the toughest situations that end up setting us free. And God knows that. The fact remains, the Lord is our healer and our deliverer. And to Him be the glory in whatever He decides is best in our lives. He's got a very personal plan for each of us. We've each got to personally believe this statement on the board. And believe Him, His person, if we want to be set free. The Lord is our healer and our deliverer, and to Him be the glory in whatever He decides is best for me. So let's close by visiting some passages that highlight our gratitude in suffering and God's desire for our spiritual healing. Turn with me to Job 5, verse 17. Job 5.17 It was for freedom that Christ died. He so desires that we actually live in it. Job 5.17 through 19 Behold, how happy is the man whom God reproves. Well, stop there for a second. I don't know about you, but I see gratitude for discipline. Gratitude for suffering. How happy is the man whom God reproves. So do not despise the discipline of the Almighty. For he inflicts pain and gives relief. He wounds and his hands also heal. From six troubles he will deliver you. Even in seven, evil will not touch you. Fall back on him, his just and righteous and merciful person. There's divine perspective in that verse. God knows why he allows certain things, and we must trust him with whatever he decides and whenever he decides it. That's it. Go to Psalm 41.3. Psalm 41.3. So we just saw gratitude for discipline. 
one of the books of wisdom. Psalm 41.3 The Lord will sustain him upon his sickbed. In his illness you restore him to health. As for me, I said, O Lord, be gracious to me, heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Heal my soul, for I have sinned against you. Not take the pain away. Heal my soul. Heal my source of my sin against you. Heal my soul. So we each have to ask ourselves, what's our priority? Personally, is it physical healing and comfort or is it spiritual? Is it physical things or eternal? Go to Psalm 103, verse 1. Psalm 103.1. These are the passages that I had in my notes from the miniseries and we never got to get to, so just let them pad your soul and, and encourage you. Psalm 103.1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. There's an attitude of gratitude right there. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of His benefits. That means remember his benefits. Give thanks for everything you do have. Again, verse 1. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities. Who heals all your diseases. Who redeems your life from the pit. Who crowns you with loving kindness and compassion who satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. Do you believe, even those of you that are older or might be ill right now, do you believe that your youth can be renewed like the eagle? Because if not, who are you believing in? Seriously. He's the God of all mercy. He's the healer. Just because the timing isn't there, why don't you have faith that one day you're going to be delivered? Because one day you are. Do you believe your youth can be renewed like the eagle? Do you have the faith of the psalmist in Psalm 103? Because you know what? That's what leads to deliverance. Up here and maybe physically too. God's will be done. Are you grateful to God as your healer and deliverer even in advance of the healing and deliverance? Psalm 147, verse 1. Go to Psalm 147, verse 1. Hmm. Faith of a child, right? Isn't that, isn't that what he's waiting for? The faith of a child to simply trust his dad will deliver him out of the situation. I know my dad. And right now the situation looks horrible and I actually can't even imagine a way out. But I know my dad. That's what God's waiting for. That faith of a child that doesn't doubt. So simple. Psalm 147.1 Praise the Lord. 
for it is good to sing praises to our God. There's a grateful heart. For it is pleasant and praise is becoming. The Lord builds up Jerusalem. He gathers the outcasts of Israel. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. There we see healing in the heart and the spirit. Again, verse 3. He heals the brokenhearted and binds up their wounds. He counts the number of the stars. He gives names to all of them. Great is our Lord and abundant in strength. His understanding is infinite. The Lord supports the afflicted. He brings down the wicked to the ground. Go to Hosea 6, verse 1. Hosea 6, verse 1. One of the minor prophets. As you go towards, <coughs> excuse me, towards the New Testament. <coughs> Hosea 6, 1. Come, let us return to the Lord. For he has torn us, but he will heal us. He has wounded us, but he will bandage us. He will revive us after two days. He will raise us up on the third day, that we may live before him. So let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. Isn't that a great phrase? Let us know. Let us press on to know the Lord. Who, who is the Lord? What do we want to know about him? The one that was just described in verse 1 and 2. The healer. The one that asks us to go through things may even tear us down for a time, and then heals us. Let us know, let us press on to know the Lord. His going forth is as certain as the dawn, and He will come to us like rain, like the spring rain watering the earth. Talk about healing and deliverance. There's a picture of it right there, right? Is there anything like rain after, like, five-day you know, drought, 10-day drought. Is there anything like rain? What is it saying? God is going to ask you to go through times of drought. But he rejoices in coming through for us at the right time. So let us press on to know the Lord. Let's know his ways. Let's know him. Let's not doubt him. Let's trust he has a reason for everything. And let him decide. Let him Let him. Trust him totally, like your good father that he is, to come through at the right time and in the right way. Go to Malachi 4, verse 1. This will be our last passage tonight. Malachi 4, verse 1. And really we're talking about, in these passages, spiritual healing. Healing in the soul. In our spirit. Malachi 4, verse 1. For behold, the day is coming, burning like a furnace, and all the arrogant and every evildoer will be chaff, and the day that is coming will set them ablaze, says the Lord of hosts, so that it will leave them neither root nor branch. But for you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. 
What a day that's going to be, huh? That's our eternal deliverance. For you who fear my name, the sun of righteousness will rise with healing in its wings, and you will go forth and skip about like calves from the stall. God is our deliverer. As we have seen, he has delivered us and he will deliver us. It's only a matter of timing. And the Spirit has been asking us on the board, are you asking God for, for, relief, for relief from the pain or are you asking to be delivered from your sin and its deceitfulness in your life? Do you really want spiritual deliverance? Do you really want to be set free from the slavery of sin in your life? Some of us don't. Our sin nature doesn't want to. Our sin nature wants to take shortcuts. But this is what God is asking us right now. Are you asking for a spiritual band-aid, for example? Or are you honestly asking God to sanctify you and change you? Don't fall for the deceitfulness of sin in your life and in your hearts. For example, and this is what we'll close with, and this kind of brings it full circle. Your sin nature refuses to admit that you're totally depraved. Even though you already have as a believer, hopefully, and I know for me it took time, even as a believer, to fully accept it, to believe it and stop giving myself credit in certain areas. Your sin nature refuses to admit you're totally depraved. Even to the day you die, it's going to deny it. That's why the Spirit taught us about total depravity recently. So here's the point, which kind of brings it full circle. Totally depraved? If sin convinces you that you are not totally depraved, then you think you deserve the good things in your life. And therefore, you are not grateful to God as you should be. And sin will deceive you away from being grateful to God as your healer and your deliverer because you think there's something good about you. You think you deserve, therefore, something good. And therefore, you're not going to be grateful to God for all things as we should be. Sin has deceived you in multiple ways, if this is the way you've been thinking. Denying your total depravity and sinfulness against God means giving self-credit and not God. It takes us out of the will of God, therefore, which is to give thanks in all things. You see the vicious cycle that sin tries to start and tries to corrode our soul away from the simple purity and freedom of the truth. So again, are you totally depraved? If sin convinces you that you're not totally depraved, then you think you deserve the good things in your life and therefore you are not grateful to God as you should be. You're not on your knees as you should be. So, misery must ensue. Reaping what you sow must ensue. That's the only way God's going to take you from A to B, take you to sanctification. Because none of us obey perfectly. But let's not be deceived by the traps of sin, like this. Let's not buy those little whispers and lies and entertain them whatsoever. Let's bow our heads.
Father, we thank you so much for the truth of your word and your spirit teaching us and guiding us in this curriculum. We ask, Father, that you help keep us humble and give us the faith of a child. Help us be on our knees before you at all times in gratitude. Father, we're just grateful also for your patience with us. Your patience, your long-suffering, your mercy, and your gentleness. And thank you for not giving up on us and taking us to sanctification one way or the other, which we will never regret for all eternity. Father, we ask that you bless us as we go and help us share this good news with the lost and dying world around us. We ask these things in Christ's precious name and by the power of your spirit, we pray. Amen.